Hi there, this is Podcast for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDF International Foundation. I'm Lee Clark, patient educator, and I'll be moderating uh, this interview today. Our podcast is brought to you with thanks to the generous support of our patients, families, and caregivers like you, and a grant from Celgene Bristol-Myers Squibb. Thank you, everyone, for supporting this series. Today, we are talking about the recent approval of NCOVI with Dr. Ramir Zaiden, who is an associate professor of internal medicine, and he is also the director of the hematology early therapeutics uh, research at New Haven, at Yale Cancer Center in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome, Dr. Zaiden. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. What is NCOV? So NCOV basically is uh, an oral formulation uh, of hypomethylating agent called decitabine. So just to give a background, the approved treatments currently in uh, in the U.S. for myelodysplastic syndromes include um, drugs that are used generally for higher-risk myelodysplastic syndromes, and those include azacitidine and decitabine, and drugs which are approved for lower-risk myelodysplastic syndromes, and those include linalidomide and recently losbetercept. So um, for a long time, the only available drugs were really for higher-risk MDS were, were only the two injectable formulations, azacitidine and decitabine. Azacitidine is given either intravenously or subcutaneously, while decitabine is only given intravenously. So we did not have an oral option for patients who have higher-risk myelodysplastic syndrome, and decitabine has been approved in 2006. So for the last 14, 15 years, there has been a lot of work to try to find new drugs that are oral and can be helpful for patients with high-risk MDS. However, none of those have yet been approved. So the uh, approval of um, this agent, which is an oral formulation of decitabine, is basically, I think, a breakthrough because it allows oral therapy to be given to those patients without the need to have injectable drugs. So it's effectively a combination of decitabine with a an agent called cidazoridin. And the idea is that the reason why you cannot give decitabine orally is because decitabine gets digested by an enzyme called cytidine deaminase that's present in the gut and in the liver. So this is a protective mechanism that the body has against many toxins. It disrupts these proteins and a lot of the drugs got also cleared in the liver. So the idea here is that if you give this cidazoridin, it inhibits this enzyme, the cytidine deaminase, and allows the absorption of the drug. So the clinical trials that have led to the approval of this oral combination of cytidine and cidazoridin um, looked at comparisons between the blood level of cytidine when it's given intravenously versus when it's given in combination with cidazoridin. And there were more um, uh, earlier forms of trials, what we call phase one and phase two. And then the last trial, the certain trial, which led to the approval. And all of them have effectively shown that you can achieve very similar levels in the blood with the oral route using a dose of the cytobine of 35 milligram 
with cidazoridin that's given in 100 milligrams. So those are flat doses. When you give intravenous decitabine, the dose is adjusted based on the size of the patient, based on something called body surface area. However, this uh, drug is given by a flat dose. It's given once a day. And the FDA approval, which was based on the clinical trial, and this in turn was also based on the approval of the original decitabine. So it's approved for previously treated and untreated de novo and secondary myelodysplastic syndromes for patients who have refractory anemia, refractory anemia with ring sidroplast, refractory anemia with excess plas, and chronic myelomonocytic leukemia who have intermediate one, intermediate two, or higher risk uh, international prognostic scoring system. Uh, however, most of the time, we tend to use the, this agent for patients who have higher risk MDS, which generally would include intermediate two and high risk IPSS. Thank you. Are there medical conditions which would exclude a patient from receiving NCOV? Yeah, so that's a good question. The way the clinical trials generally are done with those agents is that they have certain restrictions uh, on the kidney function and the liver function. So patients who have like very advanced uh, liver problems or very advanced kidney problems would generally be excluded from those trials. And generally, uh, you want to have some data about the use of the drug in those patient populations before you start using it. So generally, it's not something that we would recommend currently, uh, except after extensive discussion with the physician about the risks and benefits of using the drug for patients who have significant kidney or liver problems. And those patients will uh, probably have to have adjustment in the doses and some significant counseling. The other condition that's uh, a situation where generally we don't like to use any kind of chemotherapy is for pregnant women or breastfeeding women because the drug can potentially affect the baby. Even for women who are in infertility age who can potentially have children, uh, which is rare because most of the patients with myelodysplastic syndromes are older. The average age in the U.S., the median age at the diagnosis is in the 70s, but there are occasional patients who are younger in their 30s or 40s. And of those patients use the drug Incovi or any kind of really decitabine or azacitidine in general, we advise them to use a very... Uh, uh, secure or very uh, safe type of uh, birth control uh, to minimize the risk of uh, being pregnant because, as I said, the drug could potentially affect the fetus. We also recommend that for the male partner. So if the male partner uh, uh, is the one who's taking NCOVI, we generally recommend that, the, that the, he or the couple would use basically um, some effective uh, birth control. This usually extends for six months after uh, the last dose of, of the drug. Uh, those are the main, I think, situations. Aside from that, it becomes like a risk-benefit calculation with the provider. However, those type of drugs are generally uh, are not as um, toxic, I would say, as you know, uh, uh, intensive chemotherapy. So many older patients uh, with you know, heart problems or lung problems can probably tolerate them, and I routinely give them. Uh, but of course, this has to be done in a setting where the patient can be closely monitored, and um, by ideally by an experienced provider who knows how to take care of uh, such patients. Thank you. Does NCOV have any side effects? 
So like any other drug, uh, basically, it does have some side effects. As I mentioned, it's not as toxic as intensive chemotherapy, where you can have more significant side effects. However, some of the side effects that we see with this agent are very similar to the intravenous decitabine. And actually, the clinical trial, the ascertain that was done, showed that the side effects are not very different, essentially the same between the two versions. So the major side effects that we generally see is low blood counts. So this could be low white cell count, which could include risk of infections, uh, low red blood cells, which can cause anemia, and low platelets, which can cause bleeding. However, many of those are already occurring due to the underlying disease, uh, the myelodysplastic syndrome, and sometimes it can be difficult to know for sure what is causing the low blood counts. Um, of course, we have to uh, note here that while those are side effects, the main benefit from this drug is to improve the blood counts. So around 50% of the patients who were treated on this trial who were needing blood transfusions, for example, at the beginning, after receiving this agent, achieved transfusion independence that lasted for eight weeks or longer. So while it can lower the blood counts, it can actually improve them in other patients. This is the main benefit we get from using these drugs. The same applies for the neutrophils and the, um, and the low platelets. So in around 20% of patients, they will achieve complete remission. And that usually, that means that their platelets and neutrophil count will, will improve. Aside from this uh, issue, what we call myelosuppression, the other side effects could include some GI upset, nausea, constipation, diarrhea, rarely, uh, generally mild and can be managed by antiemetics or drugs to treat the specific symptom. But also we could see issues related to skin such as rashes. Um, however, severe side effects such as kidney, heart, lung damage, those type of things are generally not common. We could see other types of side effects such as um, muscle aches or joint pains or um, dizziness or headaches, decreased appetite. But again, generally, this is something that taken by patients in their 80s and often have multiple comorbidities. So I would say that the vast majority of patients tolerate these side effects generally quite well. It's rare to have a patient needing to stop because of side effects. Most of the time, the reason to stop the drug would be because it's uh, it's not working, rather than having severe side effects. Thank you. Is Encovi approved for children? So currently, the approval uh, is for adults because this drug, because it followed the clinical trial. This drug was not studied in, uh, as far as I know, in in children. And generally, you want to have specific studies in children. I have to note, though, that myelodysplastic syndromes, while they can occur in children, they are extremely rare in, in children. They are generally a disease of older patients. They the most important risk factor for MDS is advanced age. Um, but in the occasional patients, um, such who are in the pediatric age, uh, I think we need to look specifically at, at the use of the agent. So it's currently not approved. The efficacy and the safety has not been studied in children as far as I know. Thank you. Are there any fertility concerns for women or men receiving NCOV? Um, that's a good question. So I think the issue of pregnancy, we discussed that, that 
you know, uh, there should be a very effective birth control um, done due when the patient or their partner are on the drug because of the potential of affecting the pregnancy and harm to the baby, and that can continue up to six months of discontinuation of the drug. In terms of long-term infertility, infertility concerns, um, I think this is a difficult question because, again, most of the patients who are on the clinical trials have been um, much older, and they are generally not like um, many of them would not be in an age where you'd expect them to have uh, children. So um, the expectation generally is that it would not have long-term uh, infertility, such as intensive chemo. For the younger patients, for example, who are expected to be um, you know, interested in, in this issue, many of them, the use of Encovi would be to bridge to bone marrow transplant. So bone marrow transplant can affect the chance of having children in the future. So the issue of whether the drug can affect fertility is somewhat related to that. However, my suspicion is that it does not have long-term effect on fertility, but I think this has to be um, studied in, in trials in the future. Thank you. Can patients who are currently being treated with Dacogen switch to NCOV? And if so, what are the risks and benefits? Yeah, and I, I think that's a question that is actually quite relevant. Many patients and their doctors are trying to avoid coming for, uh, you know, frequent uh, visits to the care centers where they might be potentially exposed to the to the virus, especially in areas where there's a lot of coronavirus around. I think one of the uh, situations where the switch from the IV decitabine to oral decitabine uh, could be done is in patients who are already in complete remission, meaning that their blood counts are good and they're not needing transfusion. So they are essentially coming just for, for the five days of the injections for of the intravenous decitabine. And I think that is potentially a place where the drug can be used. The drug label uh, is basically for patients who are de novo untreated and previously treated. So it sounds to me like those patients could receive, uh, could be switched as long as they are responding. However, if the patient has received intravenous decitabine and then stopped responding, um, I'm not quite sure. I don't think there is a lot of data to suggest that using Incovi would make a lot of sense in that situation because the patient has already stopped responding to the IV decitabine. But if the patient is already on the drug and they are still responding to the IV decitabine, then I think switching, um, you know, for logistical reason to minimize visits, things like that, um, is is a reasonable option. And as we discussed, the safety is not that different. Um, of course, it might have some cost implications uh, depending on the patient insurance and other factors. So they have to discuss that with their provider and with their insurance. Um, but I, I think that it's definitely something that can be considered. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like the audience to know um, about the approval of NCOV? I think uh, the approval of the oral agent of decitabine is, uh, is an important development in MDS. After many years of um, having really little therapies for MDS, we had the approvals of hypomethylating agents in 2004 for azacitabine and 2006 for decitabine. 
and lenalidomide in 2005 for lower risk MDS. And since then, for 14 years, despite many trials, we did not have any approvals until the year 2020, when we have two drugs approved, just Patercept and Encovi. And I think these are opening the door for more agents. There's a lot of exciting drugs that are in development. And I think the direction that we are heading in based on um, studies of patients with uh, acute myeloid leukemia who are older, uh, which have a lot of similarities with advanced MDS, is on the combination front. So I do see us doing more and more studies of uh, combination agents. And I think having oral agents such as oral decitabine um, as a backbone is going to be potentially a game changer. We might have like a total oral therapy where we might have two oral agents physically used for both older AML patients as well as patients with MDS in the future. Of course, all of these need to be studied and we need to see the clinical trial data, but having the oral agent available definitely opens the door. So I do see a, a bright future basically with more therapies and more effective therapies and easier to administer type of agents. Thank you so much, Dr. Zadin, for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And to all of those that are listening, if you're interested in finding out more about bone marrow failure disease, please visit our website at aamds.org. You can also find out more information by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or by calling our helpline at 800-747-2820. Thank you for joining us today.